Yo, 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 check this out. This is Fresh Kid out the China Man with the two live food. Yo, yo, what's up, y'all? It's me, DMC. What's up, y'all? This is the Floyd Master P. Yo, check this out. Chuck the public enemy. Yo, what's up? This is DJ Yellow from the world's most dangerous group. What's up? This is DLC. This your boy, C. This is Jerry Heller, motherfucker. This your boy, DJ Paul K. Oil 365. Young Dizzy Ball. Vice One. Yo, this is DJ Reddy Brand. What up, what up, what up? This is the real Rick Ross. And you listen to me on the Murder Master Music Show. Broadcast nothing but the real Interviews with legendary artists Still got love for the underground feel Rappers with records are better than each other Rappers are coming up, get up, put on We need to the platform to fight the beat The show that you need to be on Either the future, yes, for life on the screen And follow up with it, that con For all of your needs, production and mixing And master and grab it, just download it What was the consequence in your life after death? What was my consequence in life after that? A whole lot of consequences. You know, we were put out there in the public eye and, you know, we became uh, young revolutionaries trying to uplift and um, restore some credibility and respectability to our communities, you know. Here and there, we went through some changes. All of us went through some personal changes and, you know, came back. You know, we were just young men trying to express ourselves, trying to, um, you know, speak on the things of the moment and of the time, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so to say. What was the um, what was the question? Question is, in, uh, after your release your first album, drop like a bomb in America. What was the consequence in your life far after well, your first uh, album? Um, the first album made it clear that we had some kind of talent because people liked the album. Uh, it reaffirmed my uh, thought that I might be a writer. I um, I was only a kid. I was 20 years old. I, did, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't have any idea that our album was going to create so much of a stir in the world. 
I was totally unaware of that. And um, so after the album came out, it, it was kind of known that, that there's a guy, there's a group called The Last Poets, and they're very strong and very brazen and very fiery. So people would give us that kind of attention. Well, I got that kind of attention just because of the album, but I didn't, I didn't see ahead. I wasn't looking ahead. I was looking at that moment, at that moment when I, I was, the group had only just gotten started and I, I had to get out because I wanted to do something else in my life. When the revolution come, that people won't be scared anymore by the white man got complex. Yeah, well, um, all those things are true. Look at white man, it's got a guy come I mean, anytime you deal with somebody who is as who's so insecure, they have to create a system of racism. There's got to be some problems, and, and and having a god complex just might be might be one of them. I mean, there are many more, but that's one of them. So, um, uh, we 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 came up in a time when it was very difficult for black men to be received with all the wealth that they have. We've always been cut down and treated cheaply, and uh, the last folks are saying, we're not having it no more. We're not going to stand for this. We're going to fight back. And we use words as our weapons to fight back. And But the fight primarily wasn't even against the system as much as it was against ourselves, because we had to fight with the negative aspects in us. We tried to kill niggas, uh, and so black folks could stand up. It was what our weapons, like uh, about the say, action speaks to those other words. Yeah, yeah, well, there was action because there was a passion at that time, and our passion just fell along, fell along, you know, with the passion that came along. The passion at that time was trying to right from wrongs, not just in the black community, but in the world. I look at the world now. It's, you know, all these multinational corporations that are ruling and, you know, governing, actually governing, because some of them are just run countries, you know. And I remember a time when the Black Panthers on the street yelling and, you know, positizing about, you know, a multinational corporation. Everybody thought, this nigga's crazy, shoot them, get them off the streets, they're crazy, they know what they're talking about. But as you can see, what they were talking about was the truth, because that truth has come around the multinationals, big transnational corporations run the world now, you know. and. Um, that's what we were trying to, you know, and and the whole thing with the military uh, industry, the military hooked up with the industrial complex, because even uh, Eisenhower, you know, General Eisenhower, before he became president, well, after he became president, he told everybody, you got to beware of the military industrial complex, and that's what's going on now all over the world. In Iraq, that's what's going on. The military is over in Iraq and in uh, Afghanistan, because the people who run the world want them to be there to, you know, watch over the hill and just, just because you know those and that's why Afghanistan is are fighting so hard for the for their for their land and for their rights because you know you're not only trying to you know bring us into your way of thinking but you're trying to take away our way of life the way we survive you know we grow poppy we sell hell into the world and y'all you know somebody wants to control that and that's what's going on I mean young men are going over to die for drugs you know not for no independence or democracy or liberation it's about money everything is about money mm -hmm. you know And we were just trying to tell everybody it can't be about money within this inner circle of us trying to bring about this revolution. We've got to have some 
unity, some type of understanding. We're going to try to move forward above the money, but a lot of us didn't move above the money. They couldn't get it past the money. We're talking about like niggas who was in COINTELPRO who thought they could make money by, you know, telling on their brothers and sisters to snitch on their brothers and sisters. And all of us were in part impulsive with some of that action. I was in an Islamic group that um, certain brothers came down and shot up the mosque that I was in, and we thought these brothers, we knew them, because they, they were up in Harlem, we in Brooklyn, so everybody had a little part of the action, going to help some of the brothers you thought were brothers turned on you to help the enemy. So there was a lot of things going on at that time. Well, at that time, during the late 70s, you would be part of the NCC and uh, Student uh, Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and the SDS, Students for Democratic Society, and also the Black Panther Party. You, you see, uh, you, you did a robbing about the KKK and fighting in front of the FBI in Paris. Well, what was your mission at first? You, you say a robbing with the KKK? Uh, Sancho of the KKK, no? Well, <laughs> you be not be in this case? Yeah, yeah, I had I had a, a African Yeah, well I had an African organization uh, down in um, North Carolina. It was called the Yoruba Society and and um, my uh, organization had been challenged by some militant brothers, some black militants, they said, where are your guns? If uh, the police run upon you all, how are you going to um, protect yourselves? Anyway, make a long story short, I hooked up a plan for us to steal some guns from two of the gun shops in Raleigh, uh, Thorns and Dixie's. And then after that, two of my boys, I, I said four guys that did the robbery, and two of them got busted. Got caught. I, got, I felt responsible, so I figured, okay, I've got to get the money together to get them out of jail. And I, I came up with this great idea of killing two birds with one stone. Uh, I'm going to rob the Klan, the group that had been hanging black people for a lot of years, and I'm going to take that money and I'm going to get my guys out of jail. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I did. But it was not easy. It was crazy. I actually went through a whole manhunt and I almost lost my life. It was very interesting what happened, but um, the Klan thing came uh, with the thought. It, it wasn't so much attacking the Klan as it was to get my boys out of jail because they needed to get out. They were, um, they had gotten stupid and got caught up. But anyway, that was, and that those are good years for me because um, I had a chance to calm down, to, to stop and see what I really was all about, who I really was. And anytime you go, anytime you're incarcerated, anytime you go to a place like a penitentiary, it's, you're going you're gonna to test yourself. You're going to see what you're made of because now it's just you and all the men around you and the guards and, and the regulations and the rules. Um, that was a salvation for me. That was a sal I, I saved my life when I went to prison. Okay. And, uh, how was uh, the collaboration with Chuck D in '93? On uh, time has come. Have with him a lot of fun of you, similar, right? That's, oh, time has come. Oh, yeah, we did do that. Was nice. That was fun. 
Chuck is a good guy. Chuck is, um, and plus, you know, Chuck D has my original name. My original name is Chuck D. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yo, Chuck, you know, he used to come over to the studio where Bill Lasso, him and the Shockley brothers and, you know, Kevin Floyd, they used to come over and, um, work on stuff at the studio. We used to be with Bill Lasso, who my first met who got that first album, be about to be dead. And he would come over, he would come over and hang out and, you know, and do things. And we got really crazy. And a lot of people don't realize that Flavor Flavor is quite a musician himself. You know, he's not as, you know, leery and stupid and silly as a lot of people think. He can play about ten instruments. He's a very, you know, he has a lot of uh, musical and drums. He can play drums, he can play piano, he plays drums. Yeah, he did all that. So, mm -hmm. we, you know, we got to know a lot of these young kids. And then I used to have this this big poetry thing every, uh, every week. In, in, in the uh, studio, so a lot of the young spoken artists were just getting started, like uh, Asher Mandela and Saul Williams and Takala. Mm -hmm. You know, matter of fact, not only did we I, I have we have a spoken word thing, but I let the guys I went the place out to them. They made a hip hop movie in the basement downstairs. Green Street was really basically where the last second last poets came came into being because of Bill Laswell, uh, because he had been trying to get Jalal. I think y'all know y'all heard of Jalal, who was lived here in Paris, uh, Lightning Rod, uh, John Jalal, who lived here. And he was trying to get Jalal to bring all the poets together at one time, but Jalal spent all the money on himself. So when I went into the, to Met Bill the first time, he said, well, now I've been trying to get all y'all together. You know what, we try to get all y'all together still. So we called people, and we was calling people, but no, nobody didn't do it. So it was like the fact that me and Drew went up and did this thing you know, the second time around, because I just thought that it was time for the last sports to get back out there again, because, I mean, I was out on the streets and blood, and anybody was doing the reunions and traveling to Iran and all this, so, you know, I'm saying, well, let me go back and see what I can do to help, you know, see if we can get this together, so, a lot of people didn't want to jump on the back, and doing did, and the opportunity did, and we've been doing this for the last 18 years, you know, the last 18 years. Uh, the featuring with uh, the Grandmaster Melo Mel and uh, Holly Terra. Well, he sounds like uh, uh, Ice-T. I say Melo Mel at this time. All he did, he took, he wrote that poem, that part that he did on uh, Holly Terra. Mm -hmm. He just had to listen to the album. He listened to my poem about five minutes and then he came and got down the mic and started, started rapping, started doing it. Melo Mel was quite a brilliant young man. And it, was a, it was a joy to work with him. And it was joy to have him on, on that um, on that album. Like, once in a while now, we see him um, uh, throughout the world. You know, I bump into him too much. But it was a joy to have him. He showed his skills as a as a spoken word, as a master of the word. He, I mean, just five minutes, he put his little, and that was a hell of a little thing he wrote too. It was a brilliant piece that he wrote for that album. Because Commons, a very aware and conscious young man. His people, his mother and father were you know, in the Black Panther Party. So he had been listening to us for a long time. He probably understood, you know, yeah, he understood, you know, our passions and the things and the, and things that we've been through. So when we worked with him, it was just so easy and and, and flowing and, and it was a wonderful thing because he was a real nice young man. But the dude too, he worked with Nas, so I don't know, he might want to speak on No, Common was cool. No, it was fun. I mean, I mean, Common was easy to work with and, and the music, uh, but Kanye West was, was good music to work with. It was easy, but I enjoy working. I enjoy working with um, with all the young hip hop artists. I mean, Nas. Uh, I did a nice 
I did, I did a thing with Dead Prez and um, Black Rose, and I mean, I enjoyed that. I enjoy, I've enjoyed all of it. I haven't, because each of the recordings we do with the different, with the artists, we bring our flavor, and, uh, and, and it blends in. And that's all you really can ask for. I mean, um, I, I, I get a kick out of the fact that they want to hear from the older guys, you know? You had Buddy Royale coming through. You had Buddy Miles coming through. You had Buddy Miles coming like Buddy was on my first. Buddy was on my first album. Yeah, was on first album. So all of them came through. But then people be coming from Japan and all over to work in Bill's studio. But Bill, you know, he had a little, he had a little following. You know, especially in Japan when we went to Japan, Bill had his own section in. And the record stores, you know, but so he's got a big problem with But he was, he was always been that type of, you know, eclectic guy who wants to get in and do the revolutionary yeah, things. Radical, yeah, you no, know, he's a special guy. Yeah. You know, so he, uh, and he, yeah, he doesn't like no bullshit music. I know one time this guy called in and was talking to Bill about some bullshit. Bill said, "Get the fuck out my phone, motherfucker!" And don't never call my studio again. He doesn't. Play with that, uh, um, that I mean, bullshit like, music. Like, like bullshit music like Kenny G. He hates Kenny G. Yeah, like, like, ugh, you know? That's not real music. You and see, know? the thing about too, Bill, see, we got a relationship with Bill like about us, because Bill likes, when he goes in, he wants to go in and get out. Bill don't want them to be too long at the board or fucking around or you, right. you know, going over. So again, you got to go, when you go in there and working with Bill Lazarus, you got to go in and get out. And he likes it, but that's, he knows how to make that happen, you know, and then he gets the right artists who know how to fill him out too when he goes in the studio. So he's uh, he's one of the masters, yeah, yeah. of producing records and putting stuff out there. He's, and, and he's a good person. A very good person. That makes uh, makes all the difference. I mean, he's not just uh, a very astute artist and, and, and organizer, but he's a very good person. Because I lived over the studio for about um, about two years, and I was doing drugs. I was still on. Uh, Looking around with the crack stuff, but Bill always looked out. I mean, uh, the first time we started, yeah, 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 the first time we started, uh, no, 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 no. music is his drug. Yeah, but I remember the first time we started on the album, I went out tonight and got fucked up. But Bill was standing by the window about 12 o'clock, and he saw me coming because I, you know, I came back because he knew we were going to do it. He just, you know, like that, we keep coming, we're going to do this. so. I kept coming, we got it done, like, you know, the rest of the sister. Yeah. But yeah, but Bill is uh, one of the best human beings. He's one of the best men I've met. I tell everybody, he's one of the best men I've met in my life. One of the best Because he looked out for me, yeah. I mean, for a couple of years. He made it possible for me to do my very first um, solo CD called 25 Years. And it, 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 it did well over here. They didn't, they didn't even promote it in America. It didn't even happen, but it was okay. We did a, another rendition of When the Revolution Comes. But I mean, he, he opened up doors and... and um, right, he, he, he was very, very important. Yeah, he's, he's one of my, my favorite people. I have a question for you. You been friends at first by Ernest Hemingway with the book All Man in the Sea. Uh, why this book interests you? It's come. Uh, it's cause uh, it's a metaphor on Jesus Christ. But uh, all minds will see. Talk about this book, huh? Ernest Hemingway. Who was impressed by that? Yeah. Oh, old man, see. Yes. Oh, what? Well, am I 
And so Sibanga, Sibanga, uh, uh, I like to use poems, mm. who was, um, I forget what it was, and she read it to me. And she said, you know, you had a talent to be like this. See, but that's when we had real teachers then, back when I was in high school. We, we had teachers who taught. You could not go into a fucking a math class with a calculator then, you know. You had to use your head. We had teachers who pushed you and, and made you made you want to uh, accomplish something. And, and and then too, see, I worked in a factory town, see, and so you had to learn how to read if you got one of them jobs in the factory, because if you got one of them jobs in the factory, you know how to read the machine. You can write a kidness of a whole lot of people. So we had to read. That's one thing. I'm glad I came out of Ohio, because we, we learned how to read, and then you couldn't get out. <laughs> On the first or second grade then, even if you could, you probably could be in a, in Ohio, you could be in a six, second grade six years until you learn how to read. They would not graduate. All this social promotion, that is, that would just to destroy a whole bunch of people to keep them really fucked up intellectually, this social promotion. And I ain't never been for no social promotion. We just push kids ahead just to get them out of, out of the way. So, you know, we had teachers there, teachers who really cared about us, teachers who wanted us to learn, teachers who made us to under, understand the words that we're working with. So, I always give respect to my teachers back then. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, after Pakistan News, your, your mother also teach you how to spoke words without yelling. It was a big influence to start in uh, do it uh, at Easter, Easter Sunday. Yeah, right. Um, the most famous Easter Sunday of my life. When I was 10 years old, my mother had me, um, as well she told, she voluntarily uh, uh, volunteered me to be the uh, child spokesperson for uh, Easter Sunday. And my job was to recite the Lord's Prayer. Um, of course, I knew the Lord's Prayer. I mean, back then we all we couldn't go to bed. <laughs> we couldn't go to bed until we said the prayer. I got smacked once viciously because I lied to my mother twice. I had said the prayer, and she saw me and knew I had not said it, and she gave me a backhand with her ring, her wedding band. Agent ring, all that hit my nose and lips. I was busted up. I was bleeding. I thought my mother hated me. Oh God! But um, on this particular for Easter Sunday, my um, mother said, "I told Reverend Wilson you're going to do the Lord's Prayer," and she said, "I want you to go downstairs and uh, I want you to say it so I can hear you upstairs in the kitchen." I'm 10 years old. Mm. I'm saying, is my mother crazy? What's wrong with her? So I go downstairs. I'm in the basement of our house. And I start saying the Lord's Prayer. But I'm saying it so she can hear me. So I say, our father! If you yell that prayer, I'll kill you, boy. Don't you yell that prayer. That's the Lord's Prayer. Don't you yell at it. Don't you be yelling. And I'm saying, how is she going to hear me? But don't yell. She says, do it from your stomach. Let it come from here, from your guts. And after a while, I got it. And on, I guess I did, because on that Easter Sunday, when the minister put the microphone in front of my face, my mother took the mic and said, he does not need a microphone. And of course, the church, oh, praise the Lord. Oh, hey, man. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh. I mean, I... I Listen, I would walk around that area of Harlem where the church was. I mean, where my where the members of the church, different members, wherever they lived, for over 10, 
after 20 years and that's all they remember that's the boy that did the Lord's Prayer in the church on the Easter Sunday oh yeah Joe Davis was boy praise the Lord Zion how you doing I mean my long before the last poets were ever in my mind I was getting play as the boy who recited the Lord's Prayer on that Easter Sunday at Southern Baptist Church on 108th Street between uh, Central Park West and Manhattan Avenue. No, you know, the church has been a, a very important part of black people. The church, if it hadn't been for the black church, a lot of us would not have survived. Because, you know, I grew up in Ross. Yeah, I, I had to go to church. I had a grandmother, you know, so you could kill You know, you, you had to go to church on Sunday, no matter what you did on Saturday. Or you Sunday school. You had to go to Sunday school. As a matter of fact, I wound up in the junior choir. I was really trying to impress my grandmother, you know. Yeah, you know, we have a, yeah, I wind, I wind up in the junior choirs. You know, we used to come in, we come up from the steps and we're going to the, to the stand. We were singing, walk in the light, beautiful light, somewhere the dew drops are mercy. Yeah, I was in the junior choir, man. Yeah. But, but you know, but, and, 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 I used to watch the, the black pictures, you're talking about drama, and a sense of the living world. Oh, I used to, I used to, I mean, I had two of them. One was Reverend Davis, and the other one was uh, uh, Reverend uh, Dykes. I mean, he's, Reverend Davis, he was just like, he started the prayer. He just, he, he'd be up, he'd get a chair in the middle, put it in the middle of the, um, of the center of the purple stage, and he'd just be on one knee for about, I mean, almost 15 minutes. He wouldn't say nothing. Everybody just waiting for Reverend Davis to say something. And all of a sudden, glory! Just one word, glory. That's how he would come up with glory. And everybody was like, whoa, whoa. And then now Reverend Dykes now, he would come up. Now Reverend Dykes, he was a preacher, he was going to give a sermon. He'd come up and put a pile of white handkerchiefs on the, on, on the pulpit because he's going to use every one of them before he threw before he preaching. I mean, these guys, would get, I mean, the church would be like, cause a whole lot of drama, but you could feel the passion. And if you didn't believe in Jesus, Saturday or Monday or, or, or Tuesday, you believed in Jesus on Sunday. Right. You believed in Jesus in the black churches because that's the churches they saved us. They saved our lives and they, we got together, we brought out the churches so the black church has always been important. And a whole lot of music came out of the black churches too, but out of the black churches. Most of your musicians that's in right. America, your black musicians, rhythm and blues, jazz, came out of the church. Yeah, super yeah. singers, I mean, you know, let's, let's yeah. look at Aretha Franklin. Uh, what would the world be Sam, without her? Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke. You know, all those things. Al Green. Al Green. All of them. Yeah, so church, no, churches played a vital role in the development of black culture in America. And it's mainly because, you see, the other thing is that that's the only thing they would let us have. With the Bible. With the Bible. That's how you know how to read. Yeah. If, 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 um, if, the church is a participatory thing. You don't just sit back and, and, and put yeah. your money in the plate. No, you get involved. And, and, and those the, the members will make you get involved. You can get embarrassed if you go to church and you think you're going to just be isolated. Yeah. You're going to sit. No, you, you must participate. And don't nobody tell you, they talk about the deacons and the preacher runs the church. The sisters were in the, the church. The sisters were in the and church. Let me tell you something. All the women. All the Because it's like that little song I was singing. You know, when we would be coming up to aisle singing a song and the sisters and the, the nurses and the sisters in the front seat, they had this thing. And we come up, we stand up on one rhythm, walk in the light, beautiful light. But then the sisters take it up. 
the light. Beautiful life. of self-determination. Do you prefer Malcolm X before when he was with the nation of Islam or after when he leaves the nation after his return to Mecca? Malcolm represented a great myriad of changes that uh, a man who really wants to find the truth goes through. I mean, every step, every phase of Malcolm's life, he was sincere, he was honest. He was very, very... Um, He, and he was very, uh, how should I say, very determined. Um, and, and I have great respect and admiration for Brother Malcolm because he never settled. He always wanted to make improvements on himself and the people around him. Um, so when he was killed, when he was shot, it... it It really it, it hit me in a weird way because my teacher was uh, Malcolm Fowler. So Malcolm was killed on a Sunday, and that Monday I went to school, and my teacher told me I could go home. We could all go home because they had just killed Malcolm. No one else in the school was being let out. There was no national holiday because Malcolm was kind of like a scary guy. He was um, the government didn't really see him as somebody they would like to make friends with. <laughs> um, so, but when uh, we decided, you see, that's funny too, because the last poets came on the, we came with the Malcolm X philosophy, but we would never have been born if they hadn't killed Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. okay. I mean, Martin getting killed And none of us were willing to march with Martin. Martin was talking about when they smack you, turn the other cheek. Uh, when they got the dogs on you, sing, we shall overcome. I would never have done that. I'd have been in jail a million times. I'd have, I'd have beat up somebody. I'd been dead. I'd been hanged. I would have been hanging from a tree. 
but and they killed him. I personally, as well as every other black person, felt insulted and offended because we knew this man's platform was non-violence. He didn't carry he didn't carry a damn toothpick. I mean, it was non He wasn't trying to hurt no one. He wanted us to have rights, human rights. All right, call them civil, whatever. But the fact is that it was, and I, I personally felt insulted, offended by by his his death, and that's what pushed me over the edge. And then the group was the group came, the group was born on Malcolm's birthday celebration, but the spirit of what the group was all about started the moment mm. Carol Arkin was killed. I was so lucky to have a uh, Rex kids. Say was congratulations on beating the Clintons. You know, I learned that game, you man, and I mean, how you got past them. Sure. You know, because Malcolm would have learned the way that boy handled himself against the Clintons. You know, because right. he played the game. Because Obama, he's a politician, and we all know that. He's, okay, he's a politician. He's a very clever politician. And my thing, too, for voting for him was not so much of a historical point. You know, okay, everybody's in favor because he's black. But I voted for him because he beat the Clintons and he beat the Republican Party. And it took a lot of, of, of intelligence and craftsmanship and bringing people together to do that. And I, and I voted for that club. And so, but I just, myself, I always, I, me and Bill were just talking about it the other day. I don't know why he wanted to be president of the United States. I mean, I mean, just because I don't think he realized how much hatred and vitriol and, 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 and still, uh, I mean, deep, nasty dirtiness and vileness when some of those people in America, I don't think he realized that. Because, I mean, when you go on the line and you hear the black first lady be calling a black bitch or some white, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, but then too, it makes me wonder why we ain't got no goose guards to go find that dude and smash him and smack him up for, you know, disrespect. But that's America. That's America. And I, I, I wish him well. I really do. I wish him well. I just, I hope that he, well, if, if he gets the uh, health care thing to it'll be all chopped up and be like he wanted one. But he's still a kind of something. I think he wants to try to get an energy bill done. But I just hope he gets some things done. But it's people in the Democratic Party don't like him either. So he's he's got he's got some he's got some load to hold in front of him. So it's a job well done. Achieve that goal, which is But the other thing too is, you know, a lot of people want to compare him to Martin, and Barack is more like Malcolm. Yes, he is. He's very much like, and the same basic heritage. They both had white grandmamas. They got the same basic heritage. I mean, so he knows what the fire feels like from both sides. And when you, when you hear him talk. He, you can you can see his brain calculating before he comes out. Malcolm was the same way. Martin Martin was a preacher. Yeah. Martin, I've been you know, and you just say, oh, oh. I mean, he had all of that. And Malcolm was plain and simple. Barack is plain and simple. They they complicate all these local issues, and Barack come on and break it down. You say that's what it's about. Wow, he makes it simple. A fool can understand, and that was Malcolm's intent. 
Malcolm would always make it simple so the, the, the biggest idiot on the block could understand what he was saying. And, that, and, and, and Barack has the same stuff. And a lot of people see it. And some people are afraid of it. And some people say, well, you know, he's talking about human rights and he's not talking about black power or black things only. So, but no, he's a lot, he's got a lot of Malcolm in him. And he, you know why? Because he mastered the language. Yeah, when, I mean, you still, if you, if you go to prison for, if you go to the prison and stay for seven years and read a dictionary, you'd be a great politician. Me and a guy were talking, me and brother, we were just talking the other day in, um, in Baltimore, how it would be if Malcolm was still here with others. You know, self-destruction and self-hatred still be going if Malcolm was here. Which goes back to how the reason Islam and the CIA, I mean, perked up to destroy Malcolm. It's, 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 it, I mean, Malcolm was, I mean, because at 17 I started reading that book in Ohio. I was nowhere, nowhere near being a so-called revolutionary or a black nationalist. I was hustling in the streets. I mean, but I met Malcolm Brooke and saw how he made those changes, not just the changes, but he didn't change every day, but he made transformations out right. of the changes. The transformation became reality. He changes. You know, so I change. Well, you know, I'm sure I change it there. Well, I'm going to change it on. You know, I always change, but if you got to make that change into a transformation. Not the main change into a transformation of a different person. And for him to go to all those stages to that, and I said, well, he's one reason that I became Muslim. Well, he's one reason a whole lot of young brothers right. became Muslim, you know. So, Malcolm was like, uh, he was as the... Um, as the older brother who was married to Ruby D said, he was our shining black prince. Shining black prince. He was our shining black prince. Special, really. Yeah. 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 Do you think now we must uh, have a men's revolution better than a revolution of everything burned? A concrete burn, how do you burn? Like a box of say, action speaks for the rules. I mean, hustling for the cause. Backing uh, criminal activities for the revolutions, is it better than be a rebel without, without cause like Tupac? Because he's dead now, because he's dead also, because to that, because he, uh, he, he was a rebel without a cause. Um, you got no connection, you got no connection, you got no take. What are you talking about, Tupac? Yeah, it's a strange thing. You know, when we made that movie, Poetic Justice with Tupac and Janet Jackson, Janet Jackson, everybody else was cool with us, but Tupac really came and spoke to us, no sound, and talked to the last boys. He never even spoke to us, even though he knew that we knew his mother, he knew that, I know Pastor Ray that, but he came, he didn't come nowhere near us, man. But later on in some of the magazines, he made statements like, I do my stuff like the last boys do. I don't know if he was, I don't he know. He was intimidated by the last boys. Well, yeah, 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 he was, he was so intimidated. Because I remember after they did Poor Justice and I had seen the movie, um, and I saw Tupac, I was with my son, and, and I saw Tupac on 126 in, in St. Nicholas. And I told Phil, I said, Phil, that's Tupac over there. Mm. So then um, I rolled one day, I said, Tupac. Come here, man, like that. And, and he looked at me. I said, come over here, man. You know who I am, damn it. And I got out the car. And when I got out the car, then he came up. I mean, like, like he says, we know his mama. We know, uh, we know, we know, his, uh, we know his aunt, uh, 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 Asada. 
Um, matter of fact, she used to run around chasing us around. And I don't, I never gave her no play. Maybe you did. I don't know because she wasn't, she wasn't fine. Yeah, but 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 uh, he, you know, a lot of the kids, you know, a lot of the kids knew that they were playing in mud and that we were going to say something about it. They, a lot of them knew that because we represent the parents. We represent the strap. Bam. You know, get it together, man. Cut that bullshit out. Um, and so, I mean, Tupac was a brilliant young man, yeah. and 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 he had the look as well, all of it, like an ancient pharaoh from Kemet. I mean, he had all of that, but he was he was playing in traffic, man. He was trying to do something. He really wasn't. Tupac was no thug. No, and Tupac was a prince. He was a poet. Yeah, he was a poet, and he would tell you that he was a poet. He carried yeah. a book around all the time, and he had poetry in it. He was a poet, man. He was a poet and beautiful, but you know, when you don't have that guidance. Nobody knew that when Snoop Knight went back to that prison in New York to get that they get Tupac. We knew Tupac was going to die there. We knew Tupac. I told you about it. I had it in the magazine. I said they're going to get Tupac. As band in which with your portrait singer as a look, uh, bloods of the certain sorts of community, more than the politics, look at them. Most of them are leaders and Muslims. For father of the bloods, Steve Rogers talk about uh, gang banging is not a problem because the government took away jobs, poverty, away after schools program, social center. Gang banging and gangs are a symptom of a depression, and in the depression, every banger has to figure his homicidal or suicidal. The, the question is, do you want to live? Do you want to exist? Uh, what, what do you think about, uh, do, do you really want to live is his fullest answer? Um, wow, I didn't get that all. Did you get that? You talking about gang banging? He, yeah, but he made seminars in university now. Well, you know what, that first of all, um, the only reason why we got Crips and Bloods is because of the, the FBI killed the Black Panthers. If the Black Panthers had been able to continue to, to develop like they were, find some kind of camaraderie with your brethren. And the Panthers provided that. The Black Panthers only had provided that camaraderie, but at the same time, they did some good stuff for the hood. Mm. Then all of a sudden, you get the Crips and Bloods, and somebody tells me, well, they really were supposed to be a group like the Panthers, and they're just killing each other. I got on blue, I'm dead. You got on red, you're dead. I mean, come on. But there was a, a unity at the time. There was a unity at the time afterwards, in 92. There was some unity in Bloods and Crips, uh, like on the Bengal and Wax CD, yeah. afterwards in 92. Yeah, he, was yeah. Brown, he was trying to bring some of that uh, unity on. But, uh, yeah, there's been an effort. Yeah, I understand, too. There's a lot of police infiltrators and police and the Christian and Bloods to keep that 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 black self destruction going on against each other. Because from that vision, there was a time, it lasted for about maybe six months, but then people got to shoot at each other, you know, saying some mistakes. So, they, they, you know, they, they won those young brothers that they keep killing each other, man. They won to keep killing each other. Yeah. And there's infiltrators, L.A. police, and all up in the Crips and the blood, so everybody knew that. So they won, they didn't want, I mean, how, how, how you gonna get, I mean, I mean, some 30,000 kids, and they gonna start killing each other. 
We can't have that. We want these little niggas to die. We want to kill each other. So you had infiltrators going inside the plan and over to the Southern Hoover and shooting up. So they, they, they didn't want that to end. I mean, Jim Brown and some of the young brothers in, in, in the Christian Bloods wanted, but the, but the institution that established them in L.A. didn't want that to end. They didn't want to They have, a, they have a, a, a prison that looks almost like a Holiday Inn in Durham, North Carolina. I thought it was a Holiday Inn. And it's a new prison strictly for the kids, the gangsters. Strictly for them. I said, get out of here. So what he's saying is absolutely correct because they're making money for the prison industrial complex. That's an automatic. I know, you know, I mean, each kid or each prisoner is worth $90,000 a year to keep them locked up. Now imagine if you gave the people the 90000 let them go, here's your ninety. You might not ever see them again. And that's just like the educational system in some of these big cities. But you tell you, New York City, the educational system is... I mean, I mean, dramatically, it's, it's messed up because they don't want young black Puerto Rican and Caribbean children to become the leaders of that city, you know, to become the leaders of that city because they already had an example of what one leader, black leader of that city could do when that black transit, my brother had, what's his name? Oh, yeah. And, and he, closed, he closed down New York, New York City. Down. That was too much power for one black man yeah. to have in their hands. So they, and they looking at that and say, well, look at all these Caribbeans and Puerto Ricans and black kids, they're going to our city. And they are the majority of the people in New York City, in Manhattan. So we, we, got, we, can't let, we got to scramble this up. We got to make like we, we really want to teach them. But then I come to find out that the superintendent of the schools, he ain't never been in, in education. He's a federal ex-federal prosecutor. So he thinks the lines of putting people in prison. That's why he got so many uh, metal detectors in school. That's why he got so many police in school. He's getting ready people to go to jail. Not to go and come out of... Out of school, so it's, it's, it's you know, it's all configured and contrived and whatever. When the revolution comes, 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 Preacher pimps are gonna split the scene with the communion wine stuck in their back pockets. Faggots won't be so funny then, and all the junkies will quit their nod and wake up when the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, transit cops will be crushed by the trains after losing their guns, and blood will run through the streets of Harlem, drowning anything without substance when the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. I hope pearly white teeth fall out of the mouths that speak of revolution without reference. The course of revolution is 360 degrees. Understand the cycle that never ends. Understand the beginning to be the end. And nothing is in between but space and time that I make or you make to relate or not to relate to the world outside. My mind, your mind, speak not of revolution until you are willing to eat rats to survive. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, guns and rifles will be taking the place of poems and essays. Black cultural centers will be fought supplying the revolutionaries with food and arms when the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, white death will fall off the walls of museums and churches, breaking the lie that enslaved our mothers. When the revolution comes, when the revolution comes, Jesus Christ is going to be standing on the corner of Lenox Avenue and 125th Street, trying to catch the first gypsy camp out of Harlem. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, 
Jew merchants will give away matzo balls and gefilke fish to anyone they see with an afro. Frank Schiffen will give away the Apollo to the first person he sees wearing a blue dashiki when the revolution comes. When the revolution comes, afros gonna be trying to straighten their heads, and straighten heads gonna be trying to wear afros when the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. When the revolution comes. But until then. You know, and I know, niggas will party and bullshit and party and bullshit and party and bullshit and party and bullshit and party. Some might even die before the revolution comes. Chasing daddy on cold midwestern nights and California dreaming of the men who gave us birth and in the same breath took our lives. Sacrificed to savage and brutal acts of violence. We never really wanted to commit ourselves to getting dogged in the projects by the national pastime. Does not care about kindness and the soft tears in our eyes. Into sucker punches and pistol whippings, silence to screams of love and tenderness, begging to be set free from our arrogance is the demon that will kill us before the white man, before the drive-bys, before the system holds us up to shame on us, brothers. If we cannot let the good inside ourselves be true to ourselves, for ourselves, the time. Is now. We can no longer wait and contemplate about the fate of our state. It's time to take what we make, everything we create for our sake, and starve the snake that crawls through the walls of our mind. Spitting out venomous slime that leaves us blind to the beauty of our kind. There's no more time. We've got to stand somehow. It's down to now. For all the slaves in the graves and the children who weren't saved and the old folks who prayed and the black bodies hanging in the shade and the brothers who were brave and the sisters who were raped and the ones who escaped and our spirits beaten out of shape. For those who've lost their minds, there's no more time. We've got to stand somehow. It's down to now. Face the demon inside and reveal his disguise. Wipe the sleep from your eyes and make no compromise. Give him back all his lies. It should not be a surprise. It's our time to rise. Don't let your backbone bow. We've got to stand up somehow. It's down to now. It's down to now. It's down to now. Now we came in the bottom of ships. Three quarters died. Now tell me what's the tax on that shit Why I think, why I think, maybe I'm thinking too much That this government got my ass fucked All this party time, anytime rhymes Got the IRS in the West 
all up in their chest. Now what did the U.S. ever really do for us? Turn that ass to ash and that trust to dust. Generation wreck bobbing their head and their neck. Won't expect the scene comes with a guillotine. Happy days for them is jail time forgotten. Sitting rotten in the 90s picking electronic cotton. Homeless on the range, yo is we living strange. In a strange place and time, is it down to the crime? Is it down to now or is it down to the powwow? Fuck the pow, cause it's down to now.